You're listening to The Snap Hook with Tim Costello and Scott Barzilla. Join us as we take a look at all things sports and politics in the world that we live in today. Yeah, I, I don't want to share a beer with the leader of the free world at the end of the day, right? Over 300 house races are non competitive If you look through, it's been Republicans in charge. We try and help you understand the political news by comparing it to our sports stories of the day. And just like a snap hook, we're coming in from the left side of the fairway. People who are in control of things decide this person has displeased us. Welcome back into the snap hook. Another week another couple episodes coming your way as always i'm tim costello and he's scott barzilla hey good evening everybody or morning whenever you might be listening to this podcast um this week we were going to try and do a little something a little bit different you know last week we talked a lot about misinformation and uh where people are you know getting their information from so we actually are going to come out and, and talk about who are some of our favorites that we get information from and then who are some of the people who you know might be more of the scumbag uh, territory in, in terms of, of information or misinformation? Yeah, it's really it's going to be an interesting conversation this week because um, I think you know as people listen to the podcast, they may uh, realize I'm, I may be a little bit more left than you are, um, and so we're both going to have some of those you know podcast hosts or news hosts or or um, talk show hosts that we want to go to for that information and, and people that we find as credible, valuable sources of information, people that we know fact check and, and go through the research to make sure they're putting out accurate information. So uh, I look for this as a good opportunity to get into a discussion of, you know, what are some good sources? What's a good way to find credible information to find people that we trust? Uh, and, and hopefully, you know, some of our listeners can, expand their horizons a little bit and, and find some new uh, some new pundits, shall we say, to pay attention to. Yeah, one of the things I like to do is whenever I'm, you know, coming across a new host, you can always throw it in into the Google machine, as we like to say, and sit there and say, is blank, insert name here, biased. And usually what will pop up is there's, you know, there are a couple of different sites that, um, that rate media bias and they'll, they'll rate them between left and right. Like we were talking about last week, but they'll also rate them as, you know, factual or questionable. They, they have different you know ways that they categorize those things, but you can always, you know, do a, you know, cursory Google search and just, you know, look up where they're coming from. And, you know, even if they're coming from the left or right necessarily, it doesn't mean they're a bad source. It just, you know, but it's always good to know what perspective people are coming from. Absolutely. I think you hit on a great point there. Um, you know, me especially, most of my, my sources are going to have a left-leaning bias to them because that is the side that I care about. But the, the thing that's important there is, is it accurate? You know, is, is this someone that goes through the time to vet sources, that does the research before they go on air? Um, and, you know, you can tell, especially in the podcast world, a lot of these um, – People who do shows that require research will list their sources. They will list their sources in um, in the show notes for the podcast, so you can see where they're getting that information, and you can expand upon it yourself. Because I think Scott, as we get into this, the best you know voices of of people that I care about, the best broadcasters out there, are are people who open you up to new ideas. At the end of the day, you know, it's not someone who just you're going to listen to exactly what they say and regurgitate it later on. But I truly feel throughout the history of broadcasting, the, the people who did it best are the ones that open your mind up to ideas and want and make you go look for more information on certain subjects. Right. And, and I think we're as we move along, and I think what you're going to find is you're going to find that I, I'm probably going to lean on some more mainstream sources. And Tim's going to kind of dig or, dig deeper you know, and find some of those ones that you might not have heard of. And, and so you know, we wanted to strike a balance with that and, and kind of to lead us off. Um, you can probably hear my dog in the background here. But um, my, you know, and, and this is kind of a sad state of our politics and news right now, but my favorite sources tend to be comedians. 
And, and that's just, you know, it's sad, but uh, John Oliver, we've mentioned on our, you know, on our episodes many times, um, he, you know, he does a weekly show. When you do a weekly show, you can do a deeper dive into stuff. And so I like, you know, what he does on his show where, you know, he mixes humor and facts and analysis, you know, really, really well. And the second guy I like is Stephen Colbert. And, and I like him for reasons. And, and I kind of gave Tim a homework assignment just this week. And I don't know, see if he's left on the homework or not, but he had a great conversation with Anderson Cooper about grief and loss. And it was about 20 minutes long. And those of y'all don't know the story about Stephen Colbert. When he was 10 years old, his dad and his two brothers closest to him in age died in a plane crash. And so, you know, that, you know, changed, you know, the trajectory of his life, you know, literally changed his name because before he was Colbert and now he's Colbert. Um, and he kind of took on that persona, but he's, um, he's Catholic, which, you know, I don't know how many people watching uh, him on late night, you know, realize that, but, um, and, and I loved his explanation, you know, back when he did uh, the Colbert report on Comedy Central, somebody asked him if he allowed his children to watch. And he said he refused to allow his children to watch his shows. And the reasoning was the best I've ever heard. He says he didn't want them to see daddy be insincere, which is, you know, what obviously what a com you know, comedy is. I mean, it's, it's farce, you know, and anybody who watched the Colbert report knew that. I mean, he was kind of riffing off of Bill O'Reilly, you know, back in those days. Um, but those are two guys that I think they're comedians. They present, you know, things to you in a funny way, but, you know, they have depth to them. And that's the, you know, one of the main reasons I like them. I agree. I agree with you a lot on, on both of those, Scott. I, I like John Oliver a little bit more than Colbert um, just because and it may be the networks that they're on, but I, I feel like John Oliver is able to, um, you know, take the gloves off a little bit more and throw some harder hitting punches where Colbert, obviously on late night on CBS, mainstream network, um, can't quite go in as hard as, as John Oliver does. Um, but I think also that's that's maybe a reflection, too, on, on some of Colbert's politics. I, I do think he is a Democrat, but I don't think he is, you know, as far left maybe as, as some of the other people that I tend to, to go to. But you got to remember Colbert was one of the first people on, on mainstream media to, um, you know, kind of speak out about President Trump and, and what we had done as a nation and electing somebody like that. So you do have to give that guy credit for, um, you know, not being afraid to say, hey, what are we doing over here? We're better than this. And, and I think that's where Colbert specifically, and especially when the Colbert Report, he was able to use comedy um, to soften the blow. A little bit on, on some of the things that he was talking about and you could you could maybe get some right-leaning people to, to watch that show and enjoy it because of the comedy aspect of it um, whereas it, I don't think you're gonna see any hardcore Republicans watching last week tonight with John Oliver don't get me wrong it's a fantastic show um, the guy does a great job you know there's many a many a clip of his that that goes viral from that show but I do think that one um, gets a lot more left-leaning people than the Colbert Report. It was funny enough, and they did enough, you know, bit comedy, um, I feel like, to, to bring some of those guys in and, and make their points without, quote-unquote, getting canceled. Yeah, and what's funny is, is that his, you know, one of the things he did in the first season of the Colbert Report was he coined, and he actually got this word added to the dictionary, truthiness. Uh, and the meaning of truthiness was basically something that is not true, but just has an air of truth to it. And of course, you know, what a few years later, Kellyanne Conway comes up with alternative facts and you're like, that's truthiness. I mean, so, I mean, he almost predicted the future with that, you know, which is you know, kind of eerie in a way. But I'm going to pass this back to Tim and let him you know, give you, you know, one or two of his favorites uh, here. So you, you hit the nail on the head earlier when you said, I'm probably going to be less mainstream. And you'll see, because we're going to be talking about um, sports broadcasters as well as, as we move into part two. And, and just like with sports, 
I tend to lean towards more of the, the regionalized coverage. You know, if I'm going to watch a, a basketball game or a, a baseball game, I want the local guys calling that game. I don't necessarily want to hear um, the national guys. You know, in fact, during the, the, during the playoffs for baseball, I will mute the TV and, and line up the Astros radio broadcast with the games because I want to hear my guys talk about my team. And so when I, you know, look at what I want to listen to, on the, on the podcast and the news media type of thing, I very much go for that specialized coverage. You know, I, I enjoy the voices that are able to show us the mistakes we've made, where we can learn from those mistakes, and how we're actually not, and it's happening all over again. Uh, so for me, two, two that I really enjoy, Robert Evans, who I've mentioned before, um, is the host of Behind the Bastards, as well as It Could Happen Here. Um, and that one is a fantastic news-based program that just every day has a news article that they are covering that day that they feel like it's something you should know. And it, it's something more like that newsroom thought process where it's, it's, not the no, it's not the news that corporate media wants to know. It's, it's the news that they feel like they should get out to the people. Uh, Robert has been a war zone reporter. Um, he's a phenomenal researcher. And his show, Behind the Bastard, talks about the worst people in the history of the world and, you know, the effects of the things that they did and, and how we can learn from that. Uh, the second one I like is, is called The Dollop, and that one is, is hosted by Dave Anthony uh, and Gareth Reynolds. It is two guys, one of which has no idea what the story is going to be, and Dave reads Gareth a story from American history that you didn't know about. Um, they mix in a little bit of everything from sports, from politics, to you know, funny stuff about the last episode about George Washington's wife, slave, who ran away. Um, and, you know, many people consider George Washington someone who didn't own slaves, when in fact he spent 12 years trying to hunt down his wife, slave. And so it's it's sources like that that I enjoy that are well-researched. Um, they bring light to topics that you thought you knew about, and it allows you to kind of expand your mind and, and look at history a little bit differently and, and realize that, we were really taught a one-sided aspect of things. And if you kind of learn everything of what happened, the, the real truth, if I may, um, your view of the world can be a lot more accurate. Uh, before I, you know, we toss the ball around on some, you know, of the other uh, people, I want to really highlight something you said, because you talked about wanting more regional and local sources. And I think that uh, that is so very important in the news today, because as something that, is going away. I mean, you're looking at the major, you know, the major newspapers, you know, just in towns. I mean, they are cutting things back to the bone. I mean, and there's reasons for that. Um, I think, you know, particularly print news is just not keeping up, you know, they obviously they're doing stuff on the internet, but I, I don't think they're, they're not maximizing that as much as they possibly could. And the problem there is, and, and I've heard commentators talk about this, and we've talked about, you know, what's happening at, say, at school board meetings. The thing is, and, and there's commentators who talked about this, and they're absolutely right. The world really doesn't change much at the top. And, and people like the president, Congress, they're not going to get away with stuff. Because, you know, you're going to have people in there. You're going to have people watching. They're going to be on C-SPAN. They're going to have, you know, people from the different news outlets there. But when we stop sending people to school board meetings, say, to cover them, or different local boards that, you know, might control whatever. Or let's say, like, you know, I've, I've been to a couple of our neighborhood association meetings, you know, the, the HOA. Um, when you stop sending people there, now those people can kind of do whatever they want. If there's nobody there to witness what they're actually doing or to object, then, you know, that's when we start seeing these really wacky decisions that school boards make, you know, and there's nobody from the community and nobody from the, from the media there to sit there and say, oh, wait a minute. No, I'm not going to let you do this. I'm going to tell everybody I know that you're doing this. So, you know, that's where, you know, we need more of those voices. And if we can't have them in the local news, we need people to, you know, start podcasts and other things like this to say, Hey, I went to the school board meeting. Do you know what the school board's doing? They're doing this, 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 and this. And we really need those voices. If you think back years ago in Houston, you had 
um, slime in the ice machine, right? Marvin Zindler, Eyewitness News. And if you were a restaurant, the last thing that you wanted was Marvin Zindler to show up at your establishment because it meant that enough people had enough bad experiences to call ABC 13 enough times that they were going to send old ass Marvin Zindler and his three inch thick glasses out to check for slime in your ice machine. And as time has gone on, these local affiliates are being bought up by national companies. And so you no longer have truly legitimate local news. It is a formatted news program that they send out through every one of their affiliates. You know, Sinclair Media owns, what, 37, 38% of all the local news channels in the country. And so, hey, if you ever watch any of their owned news, it starts out the same way, similar stories. They pretty much say the exact same thing on every one of the city's local morning shows, whatever it is when they open it up. There's no originality. There's no time to investigate. I mean, it used to be the local news outlet was kind of the watchdog of your society. There, there are many big stories that I remember local Houston news breaking. I, and, and that's just not really the case anymore. They're not, as you said, funded to be able to do that. They don't have the ability to bring in the best investigative journalists. And at the end of the day, we're going to go back to that big bias word is they're bought and paid for by a large corporation. They're not going to look into certain types of large corporations and the fraud that they commit. So, you know, as, as our, even our local sources are gobbled up on more of a national landscape, we lose that protection that society is supposed to get from having good local media. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to lead us off here. And I'm just going to introduce a guy. And, you know, I'm going to give him my thoughts on him and let, you know, Tim respond. Um, somebody who, you know, I, I'm sure you've heard every now and then, uh, Ben Shapiro. I'm going to lead off with him. Um, I, I really wanted, you know, I, I was debating either him or Tucker Carlson because I knew we could really, you know, sink our teeth into to those guys. And the funny thing about uh, Shapiro is that he, he has an air of intellectualism to him, which, you know, he sounds like he's a smart guy. But one of the things I'm going to get to, and, and of course, you know, we're going to give you our scumbags of the week. Um, later on in the show, like we did last week. And just to tease it a little bit, what really sticks in my craw is that I know lots of people who are good, decent people who are conservative. And they, honest to God, believe what they believe. And, you know, at the end, say at the end of the day, as long as, you know, you're a decent person and you, and, and one promise that I'm going to make and, uh, I'm not going to speak for Tim, but I think he'd probably agree, is that we're going to tell you every minute of this show what we believe to be true. We could be wrong. It happens. We might make mistakes, or you might listen to what we say and say, man, those guys are idiots. That's fine. Believe what you want to believe. We're going to tell you what we actually believe. What bothers me about people like Ben Shapiro is that Ben Shapiro, every once in a while, slides in something that he knows is not true. And I was listening to a clip once where he was talking about the Civil Rights Act, 1964. And the Civil Rights Act, you know, it governs, you know, business, it, it governs public. But what he said was, is that it was going to force you to not discriminate about who you could bring into your home. And I was like, what in the hell are you talking about, dude? Where are you getting this? And the thing is, is that, you know, he kind of riffs and he keeps going. He has that smooth delivery, and you know, all oh, and, and he must know what he's talking about. And that's where people, I think, get the wrong idea. And he, he's very, he, I think he is really intelligent, intelligent enough to insert things that he knows are not true. But he knows that all oh, my audience is going to lap this up. I, first of all, am a person who does not even come close to enjoying anything Ben Shapiro has to say. So let's let's start off with that. In fact, one of my some of my favorite episodes of Behind the Bastards is when they read chapters from Ben Shapiro's book and make fun of it. So I'll I'll start off with that. But that being said, Ben Shapiro is 
he's not an idiot. But he also is constantly swimming in the shallow end of the pool and claiming that he's a gold medal swimmer when he can stand and walk across the pool the whole time. He's smart enough to know that he shouldn't wade into certain arguments and he shouldn't weigh in on things that he has no idea about. And he's smart enough to know when he can get a good soundbite off and weigh in on something that the right is going crazy for. And, you know, to me, Ben Shapiro is, is the kind of guy who there's, you know, there's two ways to look at and use statistics. You can take in all the information and draw a conclusion from the data that you've been presented, which is what most rational minded people do. Or you can go in as a Ben Shapiro and have in your mind a predetermined solution that you would like to cherry pick certain tiny little data points that will affirm your predetermined decision before you even looked at the data. And so that to me, that's what, what Shapiro is. He doesn't let the facts come as they may. He cherry picks tiny little things that you're right, sound like they could be true, the, the truthy or the truthish stuff, and then he runs with it. And he's he's not a bad public speaker. He's pretty well polished. And if you notice, he spends a lot of time on college campuses where, quite frankly, those kids aren't well-versed enough in, in his bullshit, pardon my language, but they're not well-versed enough in it to be able to actually have that debate. They don't know how to question things properly. And and we'll get into this too, but he he comes from the line of Alex Jones. If you look at what Alex Jones has made a career of, it's by saying he's got documents. He'll make the sound of ruffling papers on air. And he said, I've got the stack of documents. I do the research. He'll throw something that is a fact, and then he'll lie about three other things below it. So that way... You could somewhat say he's right, but at the end of the day, if you actually pay attention um, to what he's doing, he's a giant liar. And to me, Ben Shapiro is a much more professional, well-polished version of that. He is someone who's trying to, you know, wrap a giant turd in some gold foil and pass it off as a, as a gold bar uh, because it's got some gold foil on the outside. Well, it's kind of funny. There's a, a, a guy I know a uh, long time on, you know, one of the Astros fan boards that, uh, that I frequent. And he said that statistics are like a lamppost. You can use it for illumination or you can use it to lean on. And, you know, Ben Shapiro is obviously, you know, one of those people who leans on it. And, and to use, you know, to, to use a sports analogy here, Bill James, uh, you know, father of sabermetrics once said that any any kind of stat system that did not show that Babe Ruth was the best player of all time was a faulty stat system. And it's like, you know, I love Bill James, but that is the absolute wrong way to look at things. You know, to me, when you're, when you're looking at the stats, you, you, statistics, you want to look at it and sit there and say, you know, I want to see what it shows me. I'm not going to sit there and go like, this is what I believe. I need to find something that <laughs> backs me up on that. See what it shows me. And it's, you, uh, and you made a, you, you mentioned Alex Jones, you throw out Alex Jones and there, there's a couple of different categories of these guys. And I think one of the things where we can separate Shapiro is that he has kind of pushed back against some of the more overtly racist commentary coming from the right overtly um and that's a very important word he, he, has, he has stayed away from the overt racism but i will say he has steered 100 percent into overt bigotry and hate of lgbtq like he is he is a hate monger at the end of the day well and it's but it's obviously it's all about the delivery you know and and Ronald Reagan, you know, was the perfect example of this. Ronald Reagan, you know, extreme right on you know, family values, but he had a way of couching it in a way that seemed softer than, you know, what some of these other people, because, you know, to me, in the, you know, the second guy I mentioned, you know, when we first started off with this, you know, Tucker Carlson, out and out, just, I mean, and we saw it, I'm sure you saw the John Oliver, where, uh, 
you know, a special on Tucker Carlson, um, where he just, you know, he spent 20, 25 minute deep dive on him. But basically you had white supremacists sitting there saying, we watch his show twice a night. We watch it, number one, just to enjoy it. And number two, to study it so that we could use his verbiage in you know, our own way for our own purposes. So, you know, you have a guy who, I mean, and Alex Jones, Alex Jones is just so far he, ridiculous. I, I don't even know what category to put him in. Um, but, you know, Tucker Carlson to me is more dangerous. He obviously has a larger audience and probably has the largest audience on a nightly basis of anybody watching conservative TV. Um, he's certainly number one on Fox. And in Fox is still number one compared to Newsmax or OAN. Um, so he, he is dangerous because, you know, he's obviously also not an idiot. But, you know, and I would invite anybody, you know, to, to watch the John Oliver special on Tucker Carlson because, you know, I think there's a lot that he researched and he you know, embedded in there that I think is, is so very important for anybody that thinks, oh, man, this Tucker Carlson, he's making sense. No. I mean, what he's saying is absolutely dangerous. And on top of that, I, I think truly what makes Tucker Carlson the most dangerous is I don't think he has that ideology. I don't think he has any ideology. I think Tucker Carlson will do anything for money at the end of the day. I think if MSNBC came in and said, Tucker, I've got $100 million a year for you to leave Fox and to come over here, he's gone. Obviously, MSNBC would, would never do that because it would be a terrible business decision to pay him that and your your audience loses all trust in your network at that point. But I just I have no belief that he has any ideology whatsoever. Tucker Carlson goes where the money is, and he does what he can to make money. And at the end of the day, he's paid very, very well to stir up white supremacist feelings, to stir up controversy that our politicians can then talk about because they say they heard it on the news on Tucker Carlson. It's we've talked about it before that that silo of, of that these people are in. But I mean, essentially, Tucker Carlson makes up what at minimum fifty percent of the Republican agenda it could be literally linked straight back to a Tucker Carlson show on late night Fox News like I it is unbelievably scary to think that this person who has no ideology other than money uh, is essentially the head of the Republican Party at this point yeah and that's where you know a lot of people will defend you know uh, talking heads and sit there and say well he's not racist and it's like or you know, some people will actually try and say that Trump isn't racist. And it's like, you know what? I don't know him personally. So, sure. But at some point, it's a distinction without a difference. Because if I'm peddling that stuff, whether I personally believe it or not, doesn't matter. And and that's where we get, you know, and I you know, throw out, you know, some other names that, you know, we've heard recently, but haven't heard from him. Real quick, though. I, I honestly, I think it's worse if you don't actually deep down believe it. I think that makes you worse because, I mean, God, I, I don't think those are good beliefs to have. Racism and bigotry, all those things are awful. But at least if it's what you actually believed in, if that was something that in your heart of hearts you believed was wrong and you were fighting against it, like there's at least some way to rationalize that. with With people who don't care and they'll say it just because they're paid to say it and they know what the effect it's going to have on their listener base and their audience. To me, that is, that is 10 times worse because you don't even care at all. Like, you don't care. You're just, you're here to, you're here so you don't get fined and you're here to make money. Right. And, and to me that, that is worse. I, it's, it's, they're, they're not, there's the other one's not good, but at least you believe that. Yeah, and, I, and and here's the thing. I've written, um, you know, not to brag, but I've written, published five books, and I'm not going to brag because four out of five of them lost money. I actually lost money, you know, writing the book. 
the last one I finally just did, you know, I sold it through Amazon and I was able to make money because I didn't spend hardly any. But then, so to consider this, if I were to come up with something so outrageous that 1% of the country would buy my book, that's 3.3 million people buying my book. Actually, almost 3.5 million. So if you sit there and say you get $5 per book you sold, that's $17.5 million. I'm retired. I'm going to go join Bay Oaks Country Club, play golf every day. I mean, that's, that's you know, my life. Um, and, and so I was going to mention, you know, Ann Coulter is a voice we haven't heard in a, in a long time, thank God. But, you know, she's, you know, that's, that, that was her avenue. It was like, I'm just going to say something. You're just going to throw a bunch of crap at the wall, you know, see if it sticks. If only 5% of the country agrees with me, who cares? Because I'm selling millions. I mean, that's basically where, you know, where she's at. So what Tucker Carlson has basically been peddling for the last several years is so people understand. Is that, uh, his biggest thing is what is called replacement theory. And that is the idea that when we allow more immigrants in the country, when black people have children, um, the more that they have, the more immigrants that we have, the more power they steal from us white folks. And that's where, you know, and that's where a lot of this fear and this fear mongering comes from. And that's where we, you know, you start hearing, you know, verbiage like an invasion, you know, of people coming, you know, from south of the border. Funny you don't hear anybody complaining about an invasion from Canada. You know, you know we don't really seem to mind if people come from Canada, but, you know, we, we do mind if they come from Mexico. And he's talked about this, and he's talked about the fact that, you know, it's actually destroying our culture is, you know, some of the verbiage that he's used. And so this actually, if you watch this, and this is the relay effect that we talked about in past episodes, if you're watching this two, three, four hours a day, you're going to start, you know, ingesting this and just getting literally mentally sick off of this. No, you're you're absolutely right. He, and it's, it's interesting you mentioned if you ingest this all day, right? Because if you think back to our, our former president Donald Trump, you're looking at a guy who would literally sit there and watch what four to five hours of, of Fox News a night, and then he would get angry about the things he'd see on there and, and go out and, and and you know make some some terrible statements at a press conference or, or say he's you know needs to secure the border or whatever it may be when. It's just not true. It really isn't, you know. And and you mentioned um, uh, what, um, what was her name? Laura Ingram. You know, this oh, is, I, and Ann Coulter is Ann right. Coulter. Well, and and really, Ann Coulter is who I meant. You know, they they made their bones making a stink out of the Clinton sex scandal. I mean, if if you look at how they you know kind of rose to popularity, it was. It was breaking down a sex scandal, and then you're right. They they realized most of America doesn't care about Bill Clinton's sex life, but enough of them do that I can make a career out of this. And it's 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 disgusting. It's it's frustrating because there's so many people out there that really do think they pay attention, and they would benefit for some legitimate dialogue happening and, and, and understanding of what's going on in our nation and the things that we're dealing with. And, and they tune in because they want to be informed. And instead they're, you know, the word that Republicans use for Democrats all the time is indoctrination. Well, I, I don't know if, <laughs> if anything counts more as indoctrination than, than Tucker Carl's audience, because that he is he's a propagandist at the end of the day there is not an ounce of news on that program he's he's been said to be just an opinion person because when they tried to go after him for lying uh, about the Dominion voting machines they said I'm not a news show right this is an opinion this is a you know my opinions so now I mean at this point there is no news on that show it is propaganda it is conservative far right propaganda 
And I mean, the moment someone says that they watch that show, I'm walking away because you're not somebody that I want to spend any time with. Well, it makes me, uh, and it makes me feel bad. I, uh, I, I serve on the pastoral council on my parish where I'm at. And so every meeting we begin with a kind of individual prayer intentions, you know, pray for my uncle who's sick, pray, pray, you know, whatever. Right. And so there's one guy on the council is really a super nice guy, but every week, every month, he's praying for the fact of, you know, for our teachers and our kids, because, you know, we're, they're teaching the seat, you know, the critical race theory in school and they're, they're teaching about, you know, homosexuality and sexuality to four and five year olds. And it's like, in my mind, I'm sitting there. Okay. I can't interrupt them in the middle of a prayer. I can't do that. But, you know, at what point, you know, you can sit there and sit there and say, said, none of this is true. You know, and so wherever you're hearing this stuff. And so, but, you know, I wanted to. I was, I was going to say, you're, you're a better guy than me, because I think month two, my prayer would have been, I pray that this guy really learns how to differentiate some yeah. news sources and stop bringing this crap into the pastoral council. Yeah, I, I guess uh, it's. It, I would have when I was your age, probably. Um, it's probably an it's probably a, a an older age thing. But here, uh, here's the deal. So um, we've we've hit some right wing sources. So I wanted you know to to kind of introduce some balance. Throw it over to the left, and just going to throw out a couple of people here who used to be together but now aren't. You have the Young Turks and Jimmy Dore, and so. Um, I wanted to get your perspective on this before I jump in. I, first of all, I don't like the Young Turks. I think they are, they're a, a classic example of West Wing brain, where they want cohesion between both parties way too much. And I think they're just, they've kind of turned into personal cheerleaders for the Democratic Party. I don't think they question them enough. And anything that's legitimately on the left and progressive, I think that they're against. I don't know what in the hell happened to Jimmy Dore. I, I, that guy's gone off the deep end, and it's happened within the last four or five years. He was someone that I think you could legitimately say was uh, a leftist and cared about the cause. But in, in the last, I don't even know if it's that long, in the last two or three years lately, he has gone off the deep end. And it really started with COVID. It started with vaccines. Um, it's, it's, it's disturbing, and now I saw he. I think I saw he announced he's going to be running for president. I mean, I just, um, I, I really don't understand what in the world has happened to Jimmy Dore. But he is someone that, um, if you actually are on the left and you care about people, he, he's burned all that bridge. I mean, there's there's no way you can listen to that guy and and, and think that this is rational. Yeah, and I think I was watching, and one of the, one of the last things where I, I encountered Ben Shapiro was I was watching a clip where Anna Kasparian was interviewing him. Anna Kasparian is one of the main um, anchors on on the Young Turks, and you know I've seen them debate each other, you know, and they they get into it. But then on this interview, it's almost like, you know, we're buddies. And, and I don't know how to feel about that because, um, you know, on one hand, I want to sit there and go, okay, you're, you know, you're actually, you know, you're being nice to this guy. But on the other hand, I do, th I do see the value engaging the other side at some point, but, you know, we, we have to be very careful because this is where I go. And in the example that I came up with, and, and my wife and I were talking about this earlier, we we're talking about healthcare. And, you know, we talked about the ACA argument um, when it was being passed, when the Democrats had a 60-40 majority in the Senate. They had a filibuster-proof Senate. And they kept going back to the Republicans, well, would you vote for this? Oh, okay, no, we'll take that out. Would you vote for this? Oh, no, 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 okay, we'll take that out. And it's like, guys, they're not voting for anything. 
just yeah, the, how to pass. It's that's why I say it's West Wing brain because they truly believe that by inviting someone like Ben Shapiro on their show and by having a wholehearted debate with him, that he's going to leave that room with a changed mind when you present your facts. I I just don't think that they are a good, I mean, they're not inaccurate. They don't necessarily put inaccurate information out there. I just think that they stand in the way of actual progress when you are willing to collude with people like that, because at the end of the day, they're wanting the boost in ratings from Shapiro's audience coming on to his show. And, you know, I, I look at it almost like, I hate to go back to that well, but like, let's look at Alex Jones again, right? Alex Jones will go on anybody's show that will have him on because he has been deplatformed. He doesn't have the ability to post on YouTube, to post on Facebook, to post on these things. So he will take any invitation and he will spit his nonsense out there until you finally kick him off the show. I mean, he, he, he took an invitation for Piers Morgan to go on Piers Morgan's show because he wants that platform. He won't be, he's very selective as to who comes onto his show because he doesn't want to bring anybody else with an opposing viewpoint onto his show. But when you have these guys on the far right, they will accept your invitation because they're just going to come. They're going to yell and scream over you. They're not going to let you get your point across and they're going to try and quote unquote red pill that audience that you have. That's the whole reason that they go on there. So that's the reason why Joe, even Joe Rogan, who is a, in my opinion, a piece of crap, won't even let Alex Jones on his show anymore because Alex Jones just sits there and talks over him and tries to, oh, I'm on Infowars.com, you know, come on and you know, that's all he wants to do is try and get people to come check out his show. So I'm with you that the moment that you bring people like that into your show, you're flirting with disaster. Like, like right now, if you and I have the ability to reach out to Ted Cruz and get him on the show, I, I don't see that that is productive because at the end of the day, I'm going to want to call Ted Cruz a scumbag and he's going to want to sit there and bloviate about, you know, whatever it is that Ted Cruz wants to talk about that hour and nothing productive is going to get done. So we're not going to play nice with him. We're not going to do a full hearted interview with him because he's not going to want to answer any questions that we actually want to know the answer to. So it's a pointless listener or you know, viewer grab that you're just trying to get more eyeballs to your show. And at that point, in my opinion, you lose all legitimacy as an outlet when all you care about is getting more viewers, regardless of, of, you know, being true to what your show or what your audience expects from you. Yeah. And you mentioned the magic word uh, or the magic name that, that, that came to my mind with Joe Rogan. Um, and I think that's actually what's happened to, to, to Jimmy doors and is what I call the Joe Rogan effect. And so for those of y'all, who may not remember, I mean, Rogan came into some fire, I guess it was either a year or two ago. I, I, time kind of blends together, but he signed a deal with Spotify for, what was it, like $100 million, something like that? Yeah, it, it was a huge number for being exclusive with Spotify. If you want to hear Joe Rogan, you got to have Spotify. So, you know... And, and so I think what happened to Jimmy Doors, you know, he's, he gained more and more exposure. I mean, that's, that's hard. I mean, if, you know, if Apple podcast or if Spotify were to come to you and me and said like, okay, we'll give you a million dollars if you just exclusively go with us. I mean, the thing is, is like, yeah, that's great for us. And, you know, but what strings come attached to that? What is Apple expecting or Spotify expecting if they're going to give us that much money? The whole thing is that they want a certain amount of provocative content because they need, they need you know, let's say eyeballs. They need, you know, people to be downloading it, to be listening. You know, it's like what Howard Stern has done for years. Um, See, but that's, but Howard Stern is fun. Right, like Howard Stern legitimately does a good interview. I, like Howard Stern has a purpose. What I think, like when you look at Joe Rogan, he doesn't interview people. He just lets people talk. Anytime, like there's no follow up questions with Joe Rogan. He's just like, oh wow, really? That's so interesting. Wow, I didn't know that. Oh wow, oh wow, like oh wow is his favorite response. Oh wow, like that's all. That's most of what Joe Rogan says. He brings on anybody and anyone who will, you know, gain 
listeners to that episode. He offers no pushback whatsoever. And so, to me, that was the problem. I didn't really have a problem with Spotify choosing to give that person that platform because he platforms bad people. I, you know, Joe Rogan is what he is. He's a comedian. Uh, you know, he made a lot of money watching people eat disgusting stuff. But at the end of the day, he doesn't do a good interview. Like, he has famous people on, and he gets traction because of his guests. But he himself offers no pushback, no rhetoric, nothing on his own. He just lets people come on with their agenda and push it. Yeah, but, that, I mean, that's part of what I guess what I'm saying is that, you know, right now, you know, Tim and I, we, we don't, we're not getting paid to do this. And so we can do almost literally anything we want. You know, because we're not, it's not costing us anything. I think what happens with a lot of these, you know, particularly people who are willing to shout truth to power, is whenever you offer them a bunch of money, you know, it's like our politicians. You know, if Big Pharma comes and sits there and says, we'll give you a million dollars, you know, for your campaign, be like, huh, okay, well, I guess when your bill comes up, we'll just, you know, have to give you what you want, you know, and, and you may not even, you know, and, and I don't know Jimmy personally, obviously neither, neither of us do. So I don't know what he is actually telling himself at the end of the day, but subconsciously it, it has an effect, you know, when you, when you're getting that kind of investment in you. And that's where I think, you know, a lot of these, you know, particularly like when you're looking at, you know, the bigger ones like MSNBC, Tim hit it on the head. MSNBC is a big corporation. So who's serving who here? And, you know, what are we serving? You know, and what issues are we hitting? You know, I think, you know, Rachel Maddow, when she was on, did a terrific job researching whatever she was talking about. She's very knowledgeable what she's talking about. But the question is, are we talking about things that we really should be talking about? And when somebody is willing to you know, pay you, then it just becomes that much easier to talk about what they want you to talk about rather than what you know you should be talking about. And you, and you mentioned MSNBC. I, I, I agree with you. They're not without blame in this. You know, they look at Jen Psaki leaving, you know, the White House, um, Deputy uh, of Deputy of Communications, you know, the spokesperson for the Biden White House, now has a nightly news show on the Democratic News Network. You know, there's not going to be any questioning of Biden's policies or any hard hitting questions for Democrats that go on on that show. It's going to be a pat on the butt, good job, puff piece interviewing. I mean, it's at the end of the day, you're not going to get legitimate journalism. When you are hiring, hiring people straight, literally straight out of the West Wing of the White House to come host your show, they're going to commend the Democrats and they're going to uh, talk negatively of Republicans. It, it, it is what it is. Now, I think it's easy to talk negatively of, of Republicans as a Democrat. That's fine. But at some point, you have to look inward and realize that there's been a lack of movement from your own party to counteract any of this. I mean, we're, I live in, in the DFW area, Tarrant County this week just put aside money to, you know, investigate election fraud. This is three years post the 2020 election and the big lie. Anybody and everybody, if you actually pay attention, knows that this was not a fraudulent election, but because there's just not a push on the Democratic side to actually do anything to fight this they're continuing to waste our money for publicity and tax and, and, and votes down the line because at the end of the day, the Democrats have done nothing on this issue. They, they relied on the news and the quote-unquote truth to come out, but they haven't battled at all, and they don't battle. They, they let the Republicans do what they want to do. Then they send out emails to everybody saying, we have to fundraise so that we can stop the Republicans. And then when they don't actually stop it, they say, we have to fundraise so we can get these people out of office. We can overturn whatever it is that the Republicans just did. There's no questioning of that platform when you have someone who used to be the mouthpiece of that administration hosting that nightly news segment. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, and this is where I've, you know, talked about some of the people I know that the Republican party is dying and which I think they are, um, you know, they, they'll win local elections, you know, because there's pockets of conservatism, but national politics, you know, they're, they're a dying brand. And I know a lot of people sit there and say, well, that's great. And it's like, well, yeah, but it's going to get replaced by something, right? If there are Republicans on the right, there's going to be some other right leaning ideology that's going to take that place. And if it's already, I mean, it's going to be fascism is what it is. And at some point they're going to be the American national, the American nationalist party or the, you know, the Christian nationalist party, whatever it is, that's what those people are going to be called. Well, it's either that or, you know, your old line, you know, 80s, 90s Republicans are going to find a way to, to you know, your Lincoln Project guys are, are going to find a way to... to that's, that's another one that needs to go on this list of who you can't trust is the Lincoln Project. That that whole organization is a problem. I mean, they, they have committed crimes. They say that they're Republicans, but they're like, they, they just misled a lot of people on Twitter to donate money to their cause during the 2020 election cycle. And a lot of people thought they were Democrats and they just were not very forthcoming about what their cause was. And that's one of the exact reasons people need to research who is funding these organizations before you believe what they say, before you donate to their cause, before you take in their information and think this is a, a viable news source. Right. And so I, and we could, you know, that's obviously the, the landscape of Republican and national politics is something we'll probably get into in a future episode because, I mean, it's it's interesting. But, you know, the problem is, is that who or what holds the Democratic Party accountable? Um, it, it, I don't know. And that's the it is if the Republicans become a non-governing party, which is basically what they are right now. They're, they're just trolls. They're, they're, they're just trolls. So the only people producing any ideas of any renown have to be Democrats. So who is going to sit there and hold them accountable? Because right now it's, it's like a hostage situation. I mean, if you're a left-leaning person, you almost have to vote Democrat because the person on the other side is a, a troll. You can't vote for a troll. But no, and if you live if you live in Texas, right, and you look at the overall presidential numbers, it was fairly tight, and it was really tight in the big cities. If you're a left leading person, and you vote for the independent leftist in a presidential election that's tight, you're actually helping the Republicans. You're not getting a vote that would be against insanity, and so it's it's a frustrating scenario where, you know, me personally, I I had to vote for Joe Biden. I felt like because. You know, what is my other choice? But at the end of the day, you're right. If the voters can't hold you accountable, because what is our other option? Insanity. That's it. There's no other choice. Either you vote for insanity or you vote for the Democrats, because we're the best option that you got. But we still don't give a crap about you. Well, and and so, you know, and that's the problem for the Democrats, because, you know, right now that your option for 2024 is either a really old octogenarian or who, uh, you know, and, and, you know, one guy that I you know, thought, you know, might be interesting is like a Gavin Newsom, but then, you know, people hate California so much. And, then and he's, like, he's not a good leader. Like he, what he's done to the homeless population in, in California is disgusting. He is, he's a corporate snob who takes unbelievable amounts of corporate money to, to, hurt his own people. It's an over-policed state that he's he's not a legitimate left-leaning person. He is a, a California Democrat, which realistically, um, you know, he's at the end of the day, he's Phil Mickelson, right? Like he, money-wise, will lean conservative, but like social issues-wise, he's on the left. Like that is what the California Democrat is. Like California has a lot of leftists that are most forced to vote Democrat, but at the end of the day, it's a it's a pretty middle of the road party on on money and and left leaning on social issues. But you know, if we consider you know Bernie to be too old, then where are you going? I mean, there's Kamala Harris. I you know, and, uh, I mean, 
uh, you, you hit on a real problem because if you look at, sadly, the Republican side, they've got a pretty good young crop of presidential candidates, you know, for let's say 2028. You'll, you'll assume Trump's going to win 2024. 2028, you've got DeSantis. Um, in Florida, who, as much as I hate him, he's going to be a, a, a good candidate for the right. Like, he does what they want to hear, and he's going to get a lot of votes. Um, you've got, uh, is it Lake, Carrie Lake, or whatever, the lady in... Oh, uh, I hate her, but at the end of the day, those are what those those are who they run. Like, those are the, the mouthpieces that they run that attract news coverage. Like, that's what they're looking for. There's no... There's no young Democrat doing much besides maybe like Fetterman. But at the end of the day, with his health issues, is that someone that you want to put up to run on a national election? I, I don't think so. There's oh. there is no good young talent in the Democratic Party right now. I mean, a lot of people thought Pete Boudier would be that guy. I, I personally never did. I don't think he had any of the, you know, the leadership qualities that we were looking for in somebody. You know, he was a mayor of a city and and now we're, we're we were elevating him to the highest levels you know there's just the the democrats again they they shut out the legitimate left the people who actually want to get in there and make some change that scares the democratic party more than anything so those young voices get shut out and eventually they move to the middle uh, you know what's the five years ago aoc versus today aoc she's she's voting to break strikes nowadays where she used to be out on the picket line with people she voted against, I mean, she voted against the rail strikes when, you know, two years ago she was on the picket line in New York City with truck drivers who were on strike. These people who come into the party, legitimate leftists, gets moved to the middle, and then they're no longer a viable presidential candidate because a fence sitter isn't someone that people want to elect. Obama won because he ran on change. But at the end of the day, people were lied to because that change didn't happen, and we don't have anybody at all that's a young, upcoming you know, you forced yourself into a corner of running Joe Biden again because you did nothing to build up anybody during the last three and a half years. Nothing at all. Absolutely. I think, you know, we're, we're getting pretty close uh, to the hour mark. So I wanted to end with the uh, our weekly scumbag edition here. And I'm going to let Tim lead off with his scumbag for the week. So this week... Um... Pretty popular name, Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, has has made the rounds suggesting a national divorce. And as easy as, hey, red states are one country, blue states are another country. Everybody would like that, right? And I, I don't understand what drugs that this lady does that she thinks like it's that simple of a solution. Because let's look at the fact that Texas is a red state, but every major city in this in this state is actually blue. Or let's not, even if that, like, just because you're a red state doesn't mean that 35% of the people who live there don't uh, disagree with Republican politics. So we're just going to completely discount a majority or you know, a large portion of people's views and say you're a new country, you don't, you're not a part of the country that you once lived in. And then she also suggested if you move from a blue state to a red state, you should wait five years to be able to vote. You should still pay taxes, but you just can't vote. These are the people that love them some constitution. They love the Constitution of the United States, but they don't understand it. And they don't understand that we went to war with England over no taxation without representation. But she's suggesting that for five years, you get no representation, but you get taxed. This is someone who is a United States congressperson who is literally openly suggesting succession from the United States. She's out there pushing a narrative that she thinks is going to help her get a nod for I think she's gunning for that vice president. Uh, I really think she thinks that Trump is going to pick her and that this is the kind of rhetoric that she thinks is going to get her there. But all it did was get her on the list as my scumbag of the week. Uh, let me say a few words about uh, old Marge. A um, couple of things she may want to uh, think about. I'm just going to assume that she would call Georgia, her home state, a red state, correct? She would think so. They have two Democratic senators. I don't know how she would reconcile that. But here's the other thing. Which states actually contribute more to the national coffers? 
It's the blue states. Uh huh. And which states take more from the national coffers? It's the red states. And if we did that, I mean, you literally have. I feel like Texas would be holding up the entire former Confederacy between Texas and if if they got Georgia, because Atlanta is a pretty big corporate hub. But between those two states, they're going to be carrying the likes of the Dakotas of. Uh, you know, Arkansas of Florida will probably help out a little bit there too. But when you look at the blue states, you've got California, you've got Pennsylvania, you've got New York. I mean, she she just is a moron. She is a again. If you're a guest on Alex Jones's show as an elected official, I I I want nothing to do with you. Your opinion means nothing. You are a scumbag. Right, and I think the other thing that she's always come out with, and, and I love this, is the, the whole idea of Christian nationalism, which, if anybody has studied their Bible, and I think we talked about this in a past episode, but... Uh, it's a code word for fascism for everybody well, there, out there. Well, there's, there's the story of the woman at the well, and the woman at the well basically you know, has a conversation with Jesus. She is a Gentile, not a Jew. And she has a conversation with Jesus, and, and Jesus comes away with the understanding that, oh, yeah, I'm the savior of the whole world. So how are we going to shrink the whole world into a nationalist state? And, and, and we could, I think, in a future episode, we'll, we'll just tease this. The whole concept of Republican Jesus is just, you know, a, a, a comical one that we'll have to dive into. Uh, but yeah, she's yeah. That's a good pick by you there for scumbag of the week. Um, my pick for scumbag of the week. I couldn't just pick just one, so I'm just going to go Fox News. We mentioned it. Uh, Tim teased it earlier in the show. Uh, they've been sued by Dominion uh, voting machines for one point. Was it one point three billion? I think. I think so. I think it's 1.3. There's another company that sued them for 2.6 billion, like twice as much. Um, but that that actually has gone to discovery, and here's what we have discovered: your famous Fox show host, your Sean Hannitys, your Laura Ingram, your Tucker Carlson, never believed the big lie. Never believed it. Yet here they are, on TV peddling it and this is where you know you mentioned carrie lake and i and i think you know the the listeners will hear an uh, an audible groan from me when you mention that name it's you know to me and herschel walker was the most comical candidate i think i've ever seen you know on on a national stage but he at least had some sense of decency to at least admit he lost you know and i think you know trump kind of came out afterwards saying, no, no, don't do that. Don't do, you know, you can't do. I, there is nothing lower in the world than taking something you know not to be true and preaching it like it's true. I will debate anybody. I will have a conversation with anybody. I'm basically a nice guy, and anybody that, you know, and all my conservative friends will tell you, uh, will say the same thing. I'm basically a nice guy. If you honestly believe something, you go ahead, you say it. That's great. But to me, don't lie to me. Don't tell me. And, and, and I made this promise at the beginning of the show and at the end of this show, of this version of our show. I'm going to promise y'all, we are going to tell you what we believe to be true. We, we're never going to come out and say something we know to be false. Now, there could be things that we say that turn out not to be true, that we're wrong about. Those things happen. People make mistakes. But I think if that happens, you and I would be the first ones to come on the next week and say, hey, we were wrong last week. We want to issue a quick correction before we get into anything else this week. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and so that's why Fox News, my scums of the week. That one's a great great choice. We've spent... An hour talking about, you know, some of their hosts that are propagandists. And now we literally have the evidence that they were propagandists. You know, they did what they wanted to do in order to bring in viewers. And 
while that is the goal of a television station, when you are a news network, that is not what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to do the news. And there's not one legitimate news program on a channel that has the word news right there in it. You know, there's there's not one bit of Fox News throughout the whole day where you can just sit there and learn what's going on because all of it is filled with opinion after opinion and lie after lie. And, you know, when Fox News launched, their, their slogan was fair and balanced. Um, we, are, we are no longer there. Scott, Fox News, the Murdoch family, Tucker Carlson, all of them, scumbags. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's what, you know, and if, if you want to come in, this is where the whole idea of voter fraud, and you mentioned Tarrant County, which is, you know, where I went to college. I went to college at TCU, which is, you know, right at the heart of Fort Worth. Uh, which actually in the Metroplex, you know, at least in the 90s, was a more progressive area than certainly Dallas was. Uh, but not, not anymore, sadly. Not anymore, no. And, and see, what kills me about that is that if you want to sit there and argue that we need to have an ID, if we need to sit there and argue that, hey, we shouldn't do absentee, you can argue that all you want. Um, I'm going to disagree with you, but hey, I'll listen uh, you know, I'll listen to your argument. But if you're going to sit there and base that on the fact that there was fraud in the 2020 election, you lost me. You absolutely lost me because that's not true. And, and we know it's not true. And we know, you know, the attorney general at the time said it wasn't true. That we've done, you know, now over 100 court cases. Not true. Most of which seen by Trump appointed Justices. Absolutely. And so, you know, if you want to argue that, you know, you want to restrict the right to vote. Okay. Have at it. Give me your best. But you better be basing it on facts. And the problem is, is they know they can't. They can't justify that. Because they want fewer people to vote. Because if fewer people vote, then they win. And that's what they want. They can't come out and tell you that. So we just got to make up some, you know, some bunch of malarkey to justify why we want to restrict your vote. It's sad. It's disgusting. Um, it's frustrating as well, too. But unfortunately, we are just two cogs in the machine that are doing their best to draw enough attention to make something happen. But, Scott, I think we're going to wrap up part one uh, of this Talking Heads special that we're doing. We'll, we'll bring it over into the sports Talking Heads in part two. Um, but as always, where, where can people find you if they want to read what's going on with you? Well, you can find me on Twitter, at Sbarzilla. Um, you can also find me at Battle Red Blog. I, I write about the Texans. And, and also, um, I do my own uh, kind of once or twice a week uh, column on the Hall of Fame index.com. And as always, you can find me, Tim underscore Costello 10 on Twitter. Um, always enjoy uh, having discussions, either you know, political or even about some of the Houston sports topics that we get into on the show, but that'll do it here for part one of the snap hook. Uh, we hope everybody enjoyed it. And we look forward to having you back here for part two as we keep talking about some of our favorite talking heads.